This podcast is brought to you by Steve Motor Group, Claire Gawe. For your personalised vehicle shopping experience, find out more at stevemotorgroup.ie. So delighted now to be joined by Gawe Senior Hurler, Connor Whelan. Uh, first of all, Connor, thanks uh, very much for coming on. To start off first, what's it like now being a inter-county hurler around this time of year? Um. Yeah, I suppose... Uh... Thanks for having me on. First of all, um, yeah, I think uh, I suppose it's it's a bit more quieter. Um, obviously, you know, we had a had a club campaign. Every every player, I suppose, moves from the inter county season almost straight into the club uh, season, and then depending on how successful you are, I suppose, really. Um, so yeah, for myself personally, I suppose we got knocked out. I think probably. S- five weeks ago now um, so yeah had a bit of downtime there and stuff like that um, obviously it's different for the lads St. Thomas's lads and the Turret Moore fellas who are kind of I suppose their season's gone on a, a small bit longer so um, yeah I think the training day for being back is the 24th November so I suppose taking it easy until then um, probably Yeah well, do you tend not to do much now around this time of year or do you start gearing yourself back up for it? Um, yeah, I suppose it kind of depends on where you're at, I suppose, really. I think um, if you kind of need to put on some size, I suppose, now is part of the time that you can, I suppose, focus on that. Um, you know, you probably wouldn't be doing much running or stuff like that. And I suppose you don't want to be heading back on the 24th, absolutely, um, under serious pressure. So, yeah, you'll obviously be tipping away in the gym and doing a few bits on your own and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think it's very much so at a player's discretion, I suppose, really, I think. I think there's any amount of resources there for you if you want, but you know, obviously, depending on how far you went with your club and stuff like that, um, you know, players will have different different needs, I suppose. Really, do you switch off now completely for hurling, or do you still kind of keep your eye on it with the club stuff that's on around this time of year? Um, no, I'd usually switch off. I wouldn't really be massively into following the club scene, really. To be honest, I kind of drift away from it completely to be honest and um, you know doing a PhD so you'd be busy enough doing that and then obviously life outside it as well um, you know lots of friends that don't don't play it as well and stuff like that so um, yeah I suppose I, I wouldn't be one that you definitely wouldn't see me in most club games uh, anyways um, I'd kind of switch off and I suppose take the downtime away from it and uh, spend time doing, I suppose, different things really, maybe playing a bit of soccer and stuff like that. So it's nice to have that that time, I suppose, really as well. Do you feel that's important to do? Um, I think I think everybody has a different uh, different view on it, I suppose, really. Like I know, I know some lads go all the way through and they always tip away doing something and they feel that that's what they have to do. But for me personally, I've always felt that the downtime away from it, I suppose, you know, is is massive in terms of it's a long year to go from November, hopefully around to the business end of the championship. And um, yeah, I suppose for me personally, I've I've always enjoyed being able to get a break away and do some traveling and stuff like that as well. So yeah, that's that's always kind of been been big for me, I suppose. Just with this, it was the first kind of year you could say as an intercounty player with the split season where you had uh, county and then club. Interesting to know Darrow Donovan came out last week uh, and labelled this as propaganda. But what's your own view on the 
split season at the minute, do you think it's worked or do you think there needs to be adjustments, particularly kind of from a inter-county player perspective? You're on the go for quite a while now. Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I think I think the essence of what Jared Donovan said, I think there was definitely parts of it that he was, I think, right about. I think the likes of your Connor Cooney's or your David Burks or Shane Cooney's, like they've literally been going around the clock for the last two years. Um, so I don't think they get much downtime, I suppose, really. And um, yeah, I, I just think, I think the split season, I think the inter-county, you know, I think it, it's it's very condensed. I think, um, I think obviously players want to play more games, but I think it's very, very condensed. And um, yeah, I think there's definitely room in terms of tweaking the schedule in a bit and giving more, I suppose, recovery period between games and stuff like that. And I suppose allow players the opportunity to, I suppose, take a breather afterwards. I think that's definitely, um, you know, I, I just don't really see what the absolute panic is about having it finished by by July. I think that's, um, I just, I, I don't really fully get that. Um, and I think, you know, the build up to an hour and final definitely deserves at least three weeks, I think. And then having the football on the week after, I think, you know, I think such a good spectacle that it usually is, it almost gets lost by Tuesday of the following week. Um, and then maybe sometimes takes away from the coverage for the All-Ireland football final. So I think there's definitely something there in that terms. I think, yeah, look, I suppose it's a, it's a very complex argument, I suppose, really. I think there's... There's no right or wrong answer. I think every player would probably have have different views, I suppose. You just think there's not enough much of a gap between the games. Like is it is it very demanding as players? Um yeah, I think I think it's it is very demanding. Um but I think it's so it's very condensed, but it's just I'm not sure as to why exactly it is so condensed. Um and then obviously you have the issue with the league as well that's kind of lost, um, has lost, I suppose, its its weight, I suppose, really in ways. Um, because the the intercounty season is so condensed that you know you're you're already playing so many matches that um the league I suppose isn't what it what it used to be, I suppose. So that's obviously an issue as well. So I, I suppose, you know, the league issue adds into the championship uh, scheduling issue in terms of there being so many games in the championship. Um, so that's a, a, a major issue as well, I suppose, really. But look, I don't think we're going to figure them all out here. That's for sure. And before you get into a bit of your career and go as year last year, are you enjoying the way Hurdle's been played at the minute? Um... Yeah, I, I think I've I think I've always kind of enjoyed the way Hurling's been played, I suppose, really. I think um, you know, I, I don't really read too much into, you know, the game is I suppose like the game is evolving obviously and teams are doing different things, but that was kinda of always the way really, I suppose. I think um yeah, I think being able to adapt to any situation I think is is I suppose part and parcel of being an an inch county hurler. And I think, you know, for me enjoyment would be a huge facet of, of the game for me and if I wasn't enjoyment if I if I wasn't enjoying it I probably wouldn't play so um yeah look what I I obviously enjoy it and 
I'm very, very lucky, I suppose, to be able to do it as well. So, yeah, I suppose that's that's to, to answer your question, I suppose, really. You're quite often play you're predominantly hurling for Galway in the inside line. Sometimes you can have a man in beside you. Other times you, you can be alone and you're nearly against two or three defenders. How much of a challenge, particularly at inter-county level, is that? Um, I think games take on a life of their own, I suppose, really. Um, and, you know, the way the game is gone, you're kind of adapting, depending on the team you're playing. And, you know, I think I think within the context of a game, I suppose you probably never really spend 70 minutes inside with two-on-one. Um, you probably go through pastures of play where you're probably trying to, I suppose, condense it at the back and I suppose kind of try, kind of trying to hit them on the counter up front and stuff like that. And uh, look, at I suppose that's what you're, that's your role in the team. And I suppose anything you can do to, I suppose, help the team to, to get across the line, I suppose, you know, it's not something that I really think about too much. I think you just go and do your job and, um, you know, hope, hope that that brings you across the line, I suppose, really. You've been in the Galway panel since 15. It's it's probably hard to believe you, you've been there for eight years now on the go, going into your ninth year. Tenth. Is that, tenth, tenth, is it? Tenth, yeah. is it? Is that hard to believe? Um. Yeah, time is definitely, definitely flying past. Um, I remember in 2015 when I started out, I was in the Connemara Coast Hotel. I was just called into the panel and... Uh, we were getting, I think, dinner or maybe breakfast or something over there with the Goy team. Uh, I think it was before the semi-final against Tip, maybe. And Fergal Moore told me that um, it's going to fly by. And I was thinking, what? what's he raving about? But um, yeah, he was right. Um, you know, it just flies by. Um, one season leads into the next. And... You know, especially if you have a short season, you know, the likes of 19 there, 2021, those seasons just, I suppose, fly by. And um, yeah, it just seems like yesterday, to be honest. But um, I suppose I've been very, very lucky with injuries and stuff like that as well. I've only missed one game, I think, in that nine years. Um, and that was against Westmead last year. So um, yeah, I suppose I've been very, very lucky in ways. Um, but yeah, it's just absolutely flowing by, really. You are only 17 at the time then getting called into the senior panel. But when you start off at 17 to what your role is now to probably one of the more senior players and one of the leaders in the group, how did how did you find that change of role from starting out to now? Um. Yeah, I think someone's position on a panel or on a team or a squad kind of evolves over time anyways. Um, and yeah, I suppose coming through as a young lad it's it, you know you kind of you kind of have a, a, a free role I suppose really um, and uh, yeah you're very much just enjoying what you're doing I suppose really and um, trying to contribute to the team and then I suppose over time you know as you have leaders that move on the likes of Joe and Aidan Hart and um, you know Johnny Cohn and different lads like that I think you know I suppose it's probably your responsibility I suppose to to I suppose show the younger lads coming through what the standards are and what's expected and stuff like that so I think it's just something that kind of happens naturally like we've we've lost the leaders inside in the group there young and old and you know even the likes of Darren Morrissey who's been in the panel for six years now like he's 
he's considered a leader. I think he's only still 24. Like, so yeah, look, I, I, I don't re- really read too much into it. I suppose really, I think you just try to, I suppose, leave it in a better place than, than when he came in and try to, I suppose, show the things that were shown to you as well, I suppose, really. And where do you feel now you're at as a group? Uh, last year, obviously, you just came up short against Limerick and All-Ireland semi-final. It's the second second year in a row that's happened. Everyone, Every team's going after trying to chase Limerick, but they've just shown their class over the last few years. Where do you feel you're at as a group now with going? Yeah, I suppose when you look back on any season, I suppose um, there's always what-ifs, I suppose, really, and... You know, obviously the Leinster final, you come within the puck of a ball of, uh, I suppose, being in being in an Ireland semi-final and being Leinster champions. And I suppose you look back, having not won anything in Leinster and having been unsuccessful in the Ireland, I suppose you have to look at that and say that you failed, I suppose, really. Um, and yeah, I think, look, it doesn't really matter whether you came second or came last, really. I suppose, really, you probably end up getting the same thing. So um, I think... For Galway, I suppose, as a group, I think, you know, we've had a lot of success underage. And I think um, I've spoken about this in the past about us bringing young players through. And I suppose the level that it's gone to now and, you know, expecting the young players are going to come through and just, I suppose, make the step up. It's it's a very, very hard thing to do. And I suppose, you know, we have, we have lots and lots of talented young players there and I suppose guiding them through and, um, I suppose trying to help them make that step and you know then I suppose becoming consistent and stuff like that so I think you know as a group there's lots of talent there but you know there's lots of other talented teams as well and um, yeah I suppose look at your you're probably looking at aiming to try and win a Leinster Championship I suppose really and that's that's I suppose the first point of call and then seeing where it goes from there I suppose really why do you think that step up is so big at the moment for younger players to come to? Um, I think there's a lot of factors to it, to be honest. I think uh us read a report there that the average age for making it through is twenty three now. Um and the average average career has almost gone gone down, I think. It's gone down to like seven or eight years now. So I think there's a lot of factors really. I think obviously conditioning is a massive side of it. Um I don't think them changing the rules has helped matters either. I think going from under 18 to under 17 and going from under 21 to 20 um, has meant that I suppose if the average age for breaking through was 23 um, and you're losing a year uh, from under 21, I think that's probably going to make life harder in terms of making that transition as well. And I suppose you have to understand that players are going from, you know, playing underage hurling um, regardless of of high how high a standard it is, um, to play an adult hurling, playing against men, um, you know, competing against lads the size of Garage Mack or Di Burke and stuff like that, and you know, I think that's a probably that's a big uh, a big step up physically, um, but I also think uh, technically and from a skill set perspective and psychologically as well, I suppose it, it's it's definitely bringing different challenges that players I suppose haven't experienced before and. Um, yeah, I suppose they're not being exposed to adult hurling until after minor now, which is probably another another part of the puzzle as well. So, yeah, it definitely does feel like it's a big step up at the minute. But on going last year, going in at half time against Limerick, how were you feeling as players? Um, yeah, sure. Obviously, you're um, obviously you're you're I suppose aware that you're in a good position, but. 
you know, if I if I went in at half time in games and and that was the final score, I think <laughs> I think I'd I'd have a lot of success. So um yeah, I suppose you always kinda of know that um, you know, particularly with Limerick, you know, there's a bigger challenge coming and you know, I suppose they just started very strong the second half and took the wind out of our sails. And, you know, momentum is a very, very funny thing in sport that when you when you have it, I suppose it's it's almost a superpower. And when you're fighting against it, I suppose it's very, very difficult to break that trend. And um, yeah, look, I suppose I haven't looked back at it yet, but I'm sure there's things there in the second half that, you know, that we probably didn't execute to the to the level that we would have liked to, um, which probably coincided with them picking up some some easier scores and building on that momentum as well. So yeah, I look at it, I'm sure it's I'm sure there's a multitude of factors, I suppose, really. How difficult is it when they just get into that flow to try and stop them? Um, it's very, very difficult to stop any team, I think, really, to be honest. Um, you know, over the years we've played lots of games where I suppose, you know, against Limerick, I suppose this year, you know, we played against Waterford below in Walsh Park in the league one year where we had the wind in the first half and we were flying it and then they started attacking on a few scores with the wind in the second half and, you know, all of a sudden they just completely, I suppose, um shifted the the power of the game. So yeah, it's it's I suppose it's it's not a new issue, but it's just uh Limerick seemed to, I suppose be very very good in the second half and I suppose that's where teams seem to be falling down and um, I suppose that's the challenge for the likes of ourselves and Kilkenny and Clare and these other teams that they came up short I suppose it's always fine fine margins I suppose really Are teams getting closer to them in your view? Um, that's it's, it's quite difficult to say I suppose really like Clare have been close the last two years Um, you know we were closer the year before um, but still, you know, you're, you know, you're not getting across the line. So, um, you know, it kind of brings me back to one of the first things I said in terms of, it doesn't really matter how close you come to the line if you're not crossing the line. You know, it's, um, and you know, you have to, you have to give Limerick massive credit as well. You know, for, I suppose, digging out the win and stuff like that. So, you know, I suppose it's on the rest of the teams to try and, I suppose, turn the tide. I suppose really. Dakil Kenny Leinster final was a really difficult result considering Killian Buckley's goal right at the death. But for you, I'd say that interview was up there with one of the most uh, difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely a couple of places I would have rather to be. But um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose look at it's it's one of those things in sport. Um, it's never over until the final whistle. Um, and. You know, we had we had a couple of chances, I suppose, to push it to a three-point game or push it to a four-point game, and you know we didn't do that. Um, and look at obviously the goal at the end is is one of those low percentage things that'll happen. But at the end of the day, I think I think the learning from that obviously there's massive learning from the last sequence of play. But I think you know from I suppose when you have your foot on the on the neck of an opponent, I suppose to to hit that killer blow to push to three points or four points. Um, you know, I suppose that's probably one of the main takeaways from that as well. And yeah, I suppose look, um, there's some things that you can't you can't explain in sport, really. Just during that game, Jackie turns comments obviously where he refers to you as a one trick pony, which is just ludicrous. Um, I think as Joe Canning was putting it, a, a one trick pony who scores one three, it's all right. But did you use that, or did you pay any attention to it at all? 
Um, no, so that that would have been half time in the Leinster final. So mm. I obviously would have had a few few messages or a few devices and stuff like that afterwards. But um, no, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really read into that too much. To be honest, obviously, you know, everyone's entitled their opinion, and um, yeah, I suppose you know Jackie's Jackie's point of view wouldn't be wouldn't be too too high up in my uh, list of priorities. So yeah, look at I, I think. You know, it's not the first time that we got criticised or um, called out or stuff like that. So I think you know when you're when you're in the shop window, I suppose you're you're susceptible to being, I suppose, criticised and judged. And some people will think you played well, and some people didn't, and stuff like that. But you know, that's just part and parcel of uh, of the game, I suppose. Really, and you know, that's something that wouldn't really phase me too much, to be totally honest. When you talk there about not paying attention to comments and stuff, is it like for yourself during the intercounty season, would you like to be away from people who say like would you not like to talk about hurling when you're in when you're in in the height of it? Um well I don't be on social media, so I don't I kinda shut away I'm kinda shut out from all that. Um it's just something I've always kind of done. Uh has that been from a particular stage or just I know from January onwards, I don't really be honest. I don't really, um, I don't really be on Twitter or Instagram or stuff like that. I just don't, or Facebook. I don't really, um, I don't, I just don't think it really, um, I don't think I really need to be subjected to, I suppose, all those opinions and views. And, um, yeah, I suppose you probably just try to keep your circle small and, you know, obviously anyone you meet, um, I suppose they have their opinion and they they have the answers for you. So, um, but yeah, it's a it's a bit of crack as well. And you know, um, I, I think you know in in Galway, I think um, I think the GA is massive, and you know, I think it's a great thing to have for for people. And you know, even back to during COVID, like when when people didn't have that, and um, yeah, you know, it's I I, I think it's one of those things you just tip around and if you if you meet somebody you have you have a bit of a chat about it or whatever but um yeah you just be very much kind of focused on your own game and what you're doing yourself and um yeah I wouldn't really be reading into it too much. I had a I had a fella come here the last day he was delivering food to the house there and he he seemed to have the answers from the Limerick game anyway so <laughs> I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be reading too much into this was really <laughs> you talked about in that uh, Kilkenny interview after the game, that this is this Galway group is a resilient group and they'll go again. And you showed that this year against Tipperary, and that's probably one of the games you look back on um, with pride. But that's a sense I get from all you as players that you feel there's something in this group. Um. Yeah, I think you know. I think obviously the Leinster final. Had you got across the line, you'd probably be viewing it differently. But um, yeah, there was no doubt in my mind, I suppose, really, that um, that the group was going to bounce back. You know, we have an awful lot of experience in, in that group and an awful lot of talent. Um, and yeah, I suppose when you're looking at the likes of Dahi Burke and Carl Mannion and Joe Cooley and these guys, I think, you know, there's no doubt in your mind that I suppose in two weeks' time that you're going to go and put in a performance and... Um, you know, I think that's something that we did uh, as a group. And I think, you know, from that, I suppose there's probably something that you can take from that. Um, you know, obviously we came up short against Limerick um, and, you know, I think there's massive, 
I, I suppose scope for learning that and um, yeah I think that performance is probably in stages of the Leinster final performance is probably what you're taking out of last year and I suppose trying to build more consistency into that and trying to um, you're obviously never going to get the complete performance but I suppose you know we I suppose we set uh, parameters in terms of the level of performance and I think at stages against Kilkenny, at stages against Tipperary and at stages against Limerick in the first half, you know, and that's what you're trying to build on, but you're trying to build it into a more consistent performance, I suppose, really. Is that for you the biggest thing goal we need to improve on for 2024? As in? Consistency. Um, I don't really agree with that, um, that narrative, really, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, when somebody says that a team is inconsistent, you know, there's no team that goes out there and gives a complete performance for 70 minutes. So, you know, I, I think, I think the biggest thing you have to look at is probably in terms of performance is minimizing the time when a team has their purple patch, the damage that, that they do to you. And I think that is probably what I would look at more so than, that word consistency. I think, you know, learning how to, I suppose, shut down or minimize a team when they have their perfect patch and limit the damage they do so that when you have your perfect patch, I suppose, that it put that you drive on and push on to win the game and I suppose put the game beyond. Um, you know, I suppose that that Leinster final is probably your your case in point, I suppose, really any time that we I suppose went through a phase where we started to put scores on the board and scored a goal and stuff like that. And then we, I suppose we allowed Kilkenny to instantly strike back, scoring a goal or scoring a goal and two points and stuff like that. I think that's almost a learning as opposed to, you know, consistency. I, I don't really think that you're going to be consistent for 75 minutes, but I just think being able to maximize your proper patch in terms of taking your chances, being rootless, and then. I suppose, trying to shut down the opposition and limit them to when they're on their proper patch, I suppose, really. And what has Henry brought to the table? Um, yeah, obviously, look, he's uh, someone who you, who you grew up, I suppose, uh, watching and playing the game. And Were you, you shocked know, at the start when he was uh, announced as goalie manager? Um, yeah, yeah, you were, yeah. Like, the players didn't have any idea, you know, I... I I met somebody there a couple of weeks ago that told me that they met me and that I the day or the day before it was announced and they could tell that I knew something, but I, nobody actually really knew Anthony. So um yeah, we we're obviously shocked. Um, you know, there wasn't any, I suppose, uh obvious candidate at the time and um yeah, it was um it was a nice surprise to get, I suppose, really. And from a forwards perspective, obviously, you know, um, he's always somebody who you can relate to and um, yeah I suppose it's been it's been a very enjoyable last two years and um, you know happy that he's back again and happy to have Eamon O'Shea on board as well and uh, yeah I suppose looking forward to it We've got excited as an inside forward because we've all heard in the past how much the ex-Tipperary forwards have uh, talked so highly about Eamon Yeah obviously it would yeah I think um, you know Seamus Cannon mentioned him in his in a statement as well, and uh, I suppose that's a that's a testament to the work that he's he's done with Seamus, and uh, yeah, looking forward I suppose to to work with him and um, having him on board, and he's a he's a massive addition. I suppose the fact he lives in Salt Hill probably 
probably makes it easier for him. And the fact he has a son on the panel as well makes it even easier. So, yeah, we'll be we'll be looking forward to it. And just uh, before we do finish on it, um, the hurling talk because there is obviously a lot more uh, to you than just Conor Whelan the hurler. But do you set any individual aims now for the season ahead? Uh, we haven't we haven't brought ourselves around that yet now I think we'll, uh, we'll is that something in, you do? Um, not, it's probably not something I do you probably look back at the season and I suppose from an objective perspective and uh, I suppose look at the team and then look at I suppose your your performance within the team and um, you know I think I think every player has areas where they can improve on all the time and um, you know I think it's something that you're told since you're a kid is to always try to be improving and developing things and getting better and um, yeah you know you'd obviously be I suppose trying to develop and push on again for next year and I suppose trying you're always trying to get to the next level I suppose really And do you feel you can win all Ireland this year? Um, yeah to be honest I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be part of a panel if I didn't believe that we could go and win win the ultimate prize. I think, you know, um, there's a lot of things we have to work on as a group, a lot of things we have to work on as individuals. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, targeting the Leinster Championship and um, taking it from there, I suppose, really. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting year ahead. Just to bring in some of the, your own work you're doing now, you're obviously doing a PhD in mental health uh, down in Cork. Firstly, how did that come about? Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a complicated story, I suppose, really. But um, yeah, so I would have been a teacher in uh, Kalashtawar and Baligar for four years, um, and then uh, just I decided that I wanted to do a PhD and. Um, I suppose mental health was something that I kind of was always passionate and interested in. Um, so I kind of decided that I was going to explore, I suppose, how I was going to do it. Um, so I was originally going to do it on uh, the challenges for post-primary students. And then I decided I was going to focus on uh, third level students. Um, and then I suppose from there, I rather than looking at the problems, I kind of wanted to look at um, a kind of solutions-based approach. So I then decided in the middle of that that I was going to look at student-athletes um, and the mental health and well-being challenges they had. And then in the middle of that, I decided that I was going to look at GA players. Um, so been looking at GA players now the last while, and I suppose exploring, I suppose, the challenges that elite GA student athletes have in terms of balancing a dual career. Um, so I think there's been a study done that they equate roughly 60 plus hours a week between being a student and an academic. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to collect data on that in January and I suppose get a better understanding of I suppose the challenges that they have and how it impacts their mental health and well-being, I suppose, really. And for people who aren't aware, right, what's the kind of work involved in this process for you? Um yeah, so it's kind of it's probably a four-year process. So year one, you kind of go out and you explore loads of literature and you kind of figure out what's been written in the field and kind of cr cr criticize and analyze the different content and 
what's strong about that paper and what's weak and what method do they use and stuff like that. And after a year, then you kind of need to nail down an idea of, okay, so these 10 or 15 people have looked at uh, mental health and well-being in athletes. There could be Anthony from studies in America, all the way around to New Zealand, Australia, back to Ireland. And then you have to identify kind of an area where your, your study is going to be different to the rest of them. Um, so it's like your unique selling point or a unique angle. Um, and then you've basically got to construct how you're going to go and do it. Um, and then you have to go and do it, <laughs> which is year two slash year three. And then you have to write it all up, I suppose, and try and publish it um, and present your findings, I suppose, really. What's been the biggest eye opener so far? Um, in terms of what I've learned, I suppose I every day you're learning. Um, I think the biggest eye opener, I suppose, really is from from my perspective has been the amount of student athletes that identify as being an athlete as opposed to being a student. Um, the amount that are willing to, I suppose, sacrifice their um, academic career, um, get average grades in order to be successful um, in their chosen GA sport, even though there's no prospects of going professional. So when you're comparing it to all the other models, you're comparing it from the NCAA, which is the American one, or the Australian Institute, uh, theirs are all aimed at the prospect of going professional, um, even as far as rugby. Um, and the GA uh, student athletes are doing the same thing in the GA, but they never have the prospect of going professional. So uh, what you're ending up with is you're ending up with, um, I suppose, a lot of students that uh, end up, uh, I suppose, in careers that they probably didn't want to be in um, or that is fit, it fits around their, I suppose, their uh, chosen sporting career, which is either hurling or football or ladies football or Kamogi. Uh, so that's been interesting. Um I think in terms of personally speaking, I think the levels of academic writing and research and the time it takes and stuff like that. Anyone you meet thinks that I'm Van Wilder and I'm in college for the last <laughs> nine years living the dream here and partying all the time and living the dream. But uh, I don't think it really uh, fits, fits in as well as that now, um, <laughs> to be totally honest about it. You're you're obviously been doing this all all year round, um, considering all the writing and everything that's involved. But just on that, the you talk about their GA players and average grades and stuff like that. It's very hard for the GA players to be putting everything into it on top of college. It's kind of very hard to see outside that bubble. So it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. Yeah, it doesn't come as a surprise to me. And to be honest, I can I can resonate with a lot of it. Like I'm not I'm not standing here saying Jesus it's absolute madness like I can I've been there myself like I've I know myself that when I was in it that I was just thinking like you know I'm hurting away with all here and I'm happy out but yeah I think I, I think there probably comes a stage where you kind of realize that you know I'm not I'm not so sure is this exactly what I wanted to do and it's not that I, I like it's not that I didn't like teaching or anything but it's just you know it kind of just happened as I was like I'm not sure is the issue I, I'm not exactly sure is the issue just a lack of guidance or is it, you know, is, is it education or is it, I don't know, like I, I just don't know, do, do people realize, 
I suppose, are they in a position to be able to make a decision at that age when they finish an undergraduate course? Do you know what you really want to be? I'm not sure. It's it's obviously interesting. And I suppose my study is hoping to explore, I suppose, exactly how it plays out and how people arrive at their decisions and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I suppose identity is kind of a funny one because, you know, obviously... Uh, you know, student athletes' identity will will fluctuate around the time of exams and around Fitzgibbon. And but I suppose the biggest eye opener has been the amount of time that they're actually given to. You know, like I was reading one report there where some students rep- end up representing six different teams a year. Like someone who's playing under twenty hurling is playing for their county, their club. Is playing Fitzgibbon for their college is on a senior panel, is on their senior club team, like that's that's five teams straight off the bat. Like and that's that's over the course of a twelve month period. Like it's just hard to see like it's obviously gonna have negative effects like really like. You've probably experienced that five or six different teams, have you? Yeah, I would have I think when I was coming so I started playing for my club at the age of sixteen. So I think one year we played under twenty one, under twenty one county senior club, senior county, Fitzgibbon. So that was five teams. Um, and to be honest with you, I think that the college's competition has been completely cast aside. So, you know, like I was almost transported in the week of, of a match, like, and playing with players. Like I didn't really know the players, like, which is, you know, awful disappointing because Fitzgibbon is so much crack, like in, you know, you had one year there where you really got to integrate with the group, but other years, like you're just transported in and you're just, you know, you're you're trying to please your Fitzgibbon manager and then you're, you know, keeping your senior manager happy and, you know, you go back playing under 21 for your club and that time the club season was in the middle of the inter-county, so, you know, your inter-county manager doesn't want you going to your club and they used, they used to put an under 21 fixture then in the middle of it all and it's just like, uh, it's just... <laughs> didn't make any sense at all but it's 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 still a massive issue like can there be anything done there from your study or just even from um i don't know like there's obviously the gpa are looking at moving the fitzgibbon to before christmas um which uh i suppose will be an interesting one uh there's talks and scrap in the preseason competitions as well there's obviously two sides that kind. There's players that want to play for their county and get the opportunity to put themselves in the shop window. And then there's probably players that have been around a bit longer that I suppose don't really want to play preseason competitions. And then there's Fitzgibbon players that I suppose are looking at the likes of, say, Don O'Shea last year, who was playing Fitzgibbon on a Wednesday and playing for Galway on a Sunday and back playing Fitzgibbon the following Tuesday. And yeah, you know, obviously Fulham and Roar came out and was was very critical of it. And I think it's it's probably again a scheduling issue. Um so yeah, I think there's lots of moving parts to that story. And I suppose mine is just looking at student athletes and I suppose where their mental health and well being fits into that whole picture, I suppose, really. Just on the mental health and well being aspect, this is probably something that you probably examine more as a group now, even with the Galway senior hurlers, compared to when you started out. Um. Yeah, I suppose to a certain extent. I think, I think the average person's awareness of mental health um is definitely higher than I suppose, uh, ten years ago. I think that's you know there's no disputing that. I suppose really. Um, 
I think there's way more knowledge out there that people can um, access. Um, but the biggest issue it continues to be the services, I suppose, really, um, which I suppose are difficult to access through the public services system. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, players are definitely more informed. Um, I think, you know, society is more informed. Um, but I suppose the methods of what you do with that information and how that, I suppose, turns into something tangible is probably um, still something that, you know, I, I think I was at a conference three or four weeks ago and, you know, someone who was speaking there said that, you know, playing elite level sport is actually bad for you physically and mentally, like, which is probably the first time that I ever heard that being said. But, you know, there's no doubt that playing elite level sport places fundamental challenges on you physically and mentally. And, um, you know, I, I, th I suppose different players have different ways of managing that. And um, I suppose it comes down to having that support structure around you and having your family and friends and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, look, at, I, I think there's, there's definitely lo loads of knowledge out there, but I just think people probably have di different and various ways in terms of, um, I suppose, dealing with that, I suppose, really. Is there a psychologist you would use in the hurling setup to go and talk to, or, or would you use it yourself or Anthem? Um, no, I kind of just, uh, I kind of just kind of focus on on my own game and my own, uh, I suppose, my own space really. And uh, you know, I think, I think you know, going back to our conversation with 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 Stu Natalie, I think a lot of it is experience as well. And I suppose I've been lucky that I've been around a while. That I suppose you know that there's going to be highs and lows and. I think being able to manage that and being being able to situate yourself somewhere in the middle that when things are going well, not to get too carried away and when things aren't going well, that it's not the, the end of the world. And, you know, that sounds like a very, very simple statement to say, but, you know, if 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 I'm 19 or 20, you know, talking to Conor Reelan back then, I think it's a very different conversation. You're, you'd obviously be down and out and, you know, because you're putting so much time into it and I suppose you know, back to our conversation about people sacrificing their their academic career, you know, if if you're sacrificing your academic career and you go out and you have a bad game, it it seems like the like the end of the world because I suppose that's where you're putting all your all your time, I suppose, really. Did the mental health kind of aspect in Everton really come to, come to life for you, say, because I know you've talked about it where you've you've tragically lost your cousin Niall Donoghue to suicide obviously but is that when it really came to light because I know you talked and you said at that time you didn't really know even what suicide was Um, yeah it's definitely a factor I suppose in the in the whole story I think you know back then I, th I think society was way less informed in terms of mental health and there's very much a stigma there around mental health and you know obviously I think there's still a good bit to go over that conversation, but I think we've developed an awful lot as a society and, you know, it's obviously something that you'd like to look at and I suppose try and do something, I suppose, meaningful in that area. Obviously, Niall's a massive factor in that, but I have, you know, internal motivations from it as well, having, I suppose, been on the ground and seeing firsthand people being affected uh, by mental health issues, I suppose, really. So I think there's a multitude of factors, really. And, um, yeah, I suppose it's something that I've been very, very passionate about and interested in. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoy learning about it and understanding it, I suppose, really in from from a much deeper perspective, I suppose, than a, than a baseline level, I suppose, really. 
is there conversations you've had with different Galway hurlers? I know there's not a lot of Galway hurlers left that Niall would have started out with, say, but say even the hurlers that have been there have more recently retired. Have you, would you would have been able to have conversations with them about Niall and what happened? Because everything, oh, there was obviously a lot for the players to take around that time. Um, yeah, I would have chatted to like Davy Burke would have probably been one of his best friends. He'd be one of my close friends as well. And Aiden Hart would have grown up with him. Uh, he's from Garth, neighboring parish. He'd be one of my good friends as well. So yeah, you'd have had lots of conversations over the years and just, I suppose, you know, he, he would come up in conversation at, at any stage, I suppose, really. And you just love hearing stories about them and, you know, I suppose after the other Ireland final in 17, you know, holding that flag with Joe was a special moment. And, you know, even hearing that Davy Burke went up to his grave the night before the other Ireland and left a couple of hurling balls on his grave and then went out and gave an exhibition in, in Crow Park, I suppose. Just small things like that, I suppose, really, that, you know, there's that saying that, you know, the memories stay on. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, hearing... Hearing, I suppose, different stories uh, than the ones you're used to hearing about them, I suppose, is, is a nice thing. And, um, yeah, I suppose it's something that has probably brought you closer to, to some of your teammates as well, you know, having having known Ireland, being his cousin and stuff like that as well, I suppose. Do you think about him a lot when you play Ireland? Um, I think he's always at the back of your mind there somewhere. Um, definitely, yeah. I think he's... I think it's something that gives you lots of perspective as well. You know, I think sometimes when we play sports, we think it's the be all and end all, and the sun's not not going to come up tomorrow. But you know, unfortunately, there's there's bigger issues out there in the world as well. And um, yeah, I suppose it's it's always good to have him there with you, and knowing that I suppose no matter what happens, you know, life is going life is going to go on. And um, yeah, I suppose you know he he passed away so young. I suppose you kind of look at it and say like you know, you need to have, I suppose you try and bring that perspective with you towards, towards everything, I suppose, in life, really. You used the word there, uh, perspective in your own career and in hurling at the minute. Do you think you've changed from when you started out? Would there be an obsession to now having a kind of perspective and not, I suppose, hurling not being the end of the world or anything? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, w- I definitely wouldn't say I was obsessed, um, as a player coming through. I think, I think, um, I think at times I was very much a happy go lucky. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as you go on through the years and I suppose particularly when it's not, not going well and when you're not being successful as a group, I suppose the answer is always more and more and more. And, um, yeah, I suppose over the last couple of years, you kind of realised that. I suppose that I suppose there's life outside it as well, and um, you know you've you've seen players pass through and players step away, and you've seen their lives go on as well and stuff like that. So I think you know the realization that it's going to end at some stage and um, enjoying it, and you know I think enjoyment is probably the most important word in the in the dictionary for me in terms of it in terms of enjoying what you do and, you know, I suppose with Anthony, you can look at it with, with the perspective that it's awful tough and, you know, people say you're sacrificing this and that and other, but, you know, the other end of the spectrum is, you know, you're absolutely blessed to be able to do it and, you know, just to go out and enjoy it. And I think, you know, that's very much where I'm situated at the moment that, 
you know, I don't think the sacrifices are as much when you're enjoying doing something and, you know, you're, I suppose you're, you're able to do it and that's it, I suppose, really. And just before we uh, finish, Connor, just a few quick fire um, questions for you. To date, who would you say has been the best hurler you've played with? Oh, that's a tough one now. That's a tough one. Uh, the best hurler I played with, I would say, oh, it'd probably be a toss of a coin between Joe Canning and Cahill Mannion. Um, Joe's vision uh, was just insane. The things he could see. Uh, and then Carl Mannion's technical ability is just outrageous. Um, but I'll have to go with Carl, I suppose, really, because I'll be relying on him. So <laughs> I'll have to give him the, the tip of the half for that one. And your toughest opponent today? Toughest opponent? Um, yeah, there's definitely been a few. Um, Hugh Lawler is obviously um, a very tough opponent. You know, he's fast and agile. Uh, Sean Finn as well. Um yeah, I'd probably go with Hugh Hugh Lauder for that one, I suppose. The biggest influence on your career? Biggest influence on my career, I would definitely say, is my family. Um, my father has taught me, I'd say, every skill in the book that I have. Um, my mother has always kind of been supporting me, no matter what. And I grew up playing against my brother in the lawn, so um, you know, he was definitely an influence in terms of. Uh, there was there was no such thing as as a ref back then. So um, and my sister as well is absolutely mad at it. So yeah, I think my family has probably been the biggest influence. And what's been the highlight of your career so far? Um, you'd have to say winning the All Ireland in twenty seventeen. Uh, feels like an an age ago now, probably because it is. But um, yeah, I suppose you're chasing something that you'd heard about. Really, uh, you'd heard lots of. I suppose mythical stories about it, and you know what what Galway was like when they did it, and you know my father would have, I suppose, been been young at that time, and he'd be telling you stories about about it, and you know the success they had and stuff like that. So I think you know finally doing that, I suppose, and um, you know it's probably something that you can't really appreciate until you finish playing. But um, yeah, it's definitely been the highlight so far, anyways. Favorite place to play. Your place is definitely Crow Park, anyways, for sure. Well, that's all uh, we do have time for today on our podcast. A massive thank you uh, to Connor for coming up.